<laughs> but I just wanted to have a little chat with you today. I know you have a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of things might be on your mind. They are all on mine. So I'm just going to let you know. And uh, we're here again. Uh, if you, those of you who've been here any number of years, back in 2013, our pastor for over 30 years uh, retired, went up and, you know, it was something he needed to do and he went up to take care of his wife and lo and behold, he ended up having some health issues that came about. And we entered into the phase of our church at that time that, at least for me, I had never experienced before. And so we, at that time, set up a management team so that the majority of the major decisions would not have to lie up on my shoulders or Pastor Andrew's shoulders or the deacons or anyone else. And uh, then we began our new search for our, a new pastor. And uh, after a few months, I realized that there's no way I could do all the stuff that I was asked to do. Um, and still preach. And so we decided that Andrew would take over the preaching duties, and I'm glad he did. Andrew is a wonderful, wonderful preacher. And I hope that you, that he never gives that up. Uh, and so, and I don't think he will. Andrew is a talker. And we all know that. And, um, but he started doing the majority of the preaching, and I did all of the behind-the-scenes work that has to do with the day in and day out of a ministry. Um, and during this time, uh, to be honest with you, we were in a state of mourning because our leader for over 30 years was gone. On January 10, 2016, we called Andrew Summers to be our new pastor of our church. And because of his lack of experience in the ministry, there were some stipulations and, uh, that were made so that he could learn the different facets of the ministry for a few years. And uh, this needed to be done, but he had a wonderful staff behind him to help him. And we began to do some different things around here. One of the first things that we did was where you're sitting right now. Now, we haven't gotten to the point of the upper level yet because we're still waiting for that person to donate for it, but the rest of it we have done, and we made, we made some progress there. Um, he gave us uh, a new website. He wanted to begin a new website and a new, uh, uh, what do they call those things, a blog and uh, one of those posts that you do. I don't know a lot of those things because, again, he is a talker. I am not. So uh, he started a few of those things. Um, we got a new church logo. We got a mission statement for the first time since I've been here with a vision statement. Uh, and there were a lot of great things happening. Now, I don't want to rehash the last six months, uh, but suffice it to say that after five years in the ministry at this church and the last three as our lead senior pastor, he is gone. And once again, we find ourselves in mourning. Some of us are hurting deeply. And if you don't, didn't get that last week, 
I am. Elizabeth, I don't know if it's spelled Kubler-Ross, that's how I'll say it, in her book on grief and grieving, gives us five stages that almost everyone will experience when there is a loss of someone who is gone from their lives. As it was with Pastor James R. Summers, now it is with the departure of Pastor Andrew. We are going to experience some of these steps in our mourning and in our grieving. And that's why I've asked you this morning, if you notice the front of your bulletin, where are you at? Where are you as I go through these? Now, just remember, not everyone is going to experience all of these steps, and you're not going to experience them in the order that I'm going to give you. But they all begin with stage one. Stage one is denial. And it's not the river in Egypt. Just let some of you guys know. It's denial. It's the first stage. This stage is what helps us overcome our loss. It is in this stage that the world becomes meaningless. Life makes no sense, and we are all in a state of shock. We sometimes wonder if we'll ever be able to move on. It is in this stage that we're just trying to survive. Then we come to stage two. Stage two comes naturally right after denial, and that is anger. It is a necessary stage in the healing process. It's okay to be angry. But sometimes your anger will seem to be endless. And sometimes it might even be something that's even uncontrollable. However, the truth is that anger has no limits and can extend to our families, our friends, our loved ones, and even to the point where we are going to blame God. I had a grandma that I loved. I never saw much of her. It was my mom's mom. She lived to be 93 years of age, I believe. Something like that. But when my mother was one year old, all you mothers will understand this, her husband was tragically killed. He was hit by a train outside of a corn yard in the middle of summer. And if you ever know corn in Indiana, it's about six foot tall in June. Had no signals on the track. He had gone through these tracks hundreds of times. Windows were down. He could hear the train. You know, you usually could hear the train, but he didn't hear it this time. He went over the tracks just as the train came. Never knew my grandfather. My mom was only one. Her oldest son was in the back seat. We were told that he threw, went right through the hard top roof. And somehow, because of that, he survived, but he had severe brain damage. So with a one-year-old, a husband who was the main income earner in the family, dead, and her oldest son, and then she had a, 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 a five-year-old besides that. Six years later, 
that oldest son was on a church outing, and they went into the Wabash River right in our town, and they went in for a swim, and he got sucked under and never came up. So in a period of six years, she had lost her husband. Her firstborn was basically useless as far as society. And her second son was gone. She had to work two jobs. It was at that point that she used that anger and started to hate God. It wasn't, and then when we, uh, she didn't have time for us, so Christmas was always wonderful because she showered us with gifts because she thought if I don't see you throughout the year, I'm going to at least give you a lot of gifts. Then when I was 13 years old, my dad decided to go into the ministry. Now, back in the day, we did not have cell phones. We had landline phones. And it was rotary at that. I know some of you can't even probably put your finger all the way around. And you'd get to like nine digits and you'd slip and it'd go out and you got to start all over again. It was horrible. But the reception on those were extremely loud. And my mom took a call, or actually didn't take a call, called my grandmother. We were in the other room with the TV on. I will never forget it. And she said, want to let you know, Mom, that we are starting a church and we're going into the ministry. And I was in the other room with the TV on. And I heard what my grandmother said to my mom. She disowned us at that point that hurt but it took years and one day my grandmother was at work at her second job and she slipped and fell and broke her hip and she was lying in the hospital room and we went up to see her and she did not want to see us didn't want to see uh, the, the grandchildren. And so my dad sent our associate pastor. And our associate pastor walked in the room, and he, he's one of those people that just lights up a room when you, you, you see him. And he went in, and he talked with my grandmother and began to soften her heart. To the point where a few weeks later, my grandmother accepted Christ as her Savior. And you talk about a change? She changed. We were, we were brought back in. We could not make up for those years that we were separated because she had gotten angry with God. So be careful not to let anger get a hold of you. The third stage is the bargaining stage. This is where we begin to bargain with God. God, I'll do this if you'll just take care of this situation. You know, army people, we call them the foxhole religion. You know, God, get me out of this and I'll do whatever. You know, God, I'll get more involved in the church if only you will do this. We become obsessed with the phrase, if only, or what if. 
as if it were up to us with the situation instead of the sovereignty of an almighty God. We want our lives to feel like they're back to normal again. And so we think that if only I had done something differently or if only I had spoken up when I had the opportunity or if only I had done this or that. Because it's in this stage that we continue to live in the past and as you know, there is nothing that anyone can do with the past because it's in the past. You remember the Lion King? Uh, what is it, Rafiti? Rafiki, what is it? Rafiki. He comes up and snaps the ear of somebody or hits the, the, the other person, the, the Lion King. Says, you can't do anything about it now because it's in the past. And sometimes we got to leave the past in the past. Which brings us to stage four, depression. It's after the bargaining stage that we're almost immediately brought into this phase. This is the stage where grief enters our lives on a very deep level. Deeper than we could ever imagine. It's this stage that feels as though we're never going to get out of it. Every January 18th, I go through this stage. It's my birthday. And my license keeps telling me I'm getting older. And I don't like that. Because I feel like I haven't done anything and yet I got so much more I want to do. And so that's why I invite people just to be around me on that day because I don't like to be depressed. It brings me up. Brings me out of a depression. Now, I didn't get that done, but I haven't done that in years because I finally got smart and got married. That helped. That helped a lot. And so we get to this stage that depression enters it, and we feel like we're never, ever going to get out of it. It feels like this is the stage where it's going to last forever. Now, don't take this stage is a sign of mental illness because a lot of people do. It's a very appropriate response when there is a loss in our lives. To not be depressed at some point would be very unusual, but it doesn't mean we have to camp out at this stage because that brings us to the final stage, the stage of acceptance. Now, you got to be careful here because we tend to think that once we've reached this stage that everything's going to be all right and okay. But this is not the case. We simply just have to realize that this is the new normal in our life. And that we are going to move forward, but we are forever changed by the circumstances and we have now begun the process of healing. We can never replace the loss but we can begin to find that we have, are having more good days than bad days. When I'm with my mother, I always ask her, How, how's your day been? How are you doing? And she goes, my days are getting better. My days are getting better. After the loss of my dad, it's been hard on her. But my days are getting better. You know, we can... You know, we can begin these new connections with new friends, new family members, new projects that begin to give our life purpose and meaning. 
And that's what my mom has done. She always has a new project going on, whether it is taking care of somebody at a nursing home or going and visiting hospitals or doing something. She's now beginning to do more and has more purpose in her life. Our culture tells us that we need to move past these stages very quickly. And I would tend to agree with that to some extent because the longer that one grieves and mourns, the more that others around you will become uncomfortable. They're not going to know what to say to you. They're not going to know how to act. And then all of a sudden, those close friends that you once have begin to drift apart because you haven't moved on maybe as fast as they thought you should be. Some of your friends will feel helpless because grieving can be the most difficult time for all of us, but especially the ones that haven't moved on. When we know of somebody who's going through these difficult times, we usually want to comfort them with the Word of God, don't we? And I hope that you do. Because within the last few weeks, I've had to say some of these same verses that I'm going to give to you to a very dear friend of mine who was and is still currently dealing with a very major happening in his life. And so we give verses such as Matthew 5, 4, where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or we'll give them what we say it said this morning in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. Or then we'll give them Romans 8, 28, one of our go-to passages, right? And we, all, and we know that all things will work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Or we'll give them Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, where the Bible says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing that I do, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or we'll give them Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Comforting verses to people. Until you're in smack dab in the middle of your own personal situation. It's easy for us to give these verses to somebody else. It's very difficult for us to take those same verses in because we'll tell people, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't have any idea what's happening in my life. No, I don't. But God does. And he can handle any situation that you have. Many times over the last few weeks and months, I have asked myself this question. What should I do? What should I do? 
Should I go and look for something else? What church is going to hire a 59-year-old youth pastor? I know, I know what you're thinking. I don't look 59. Thank you for keeping that a secret. What church is going to hire a 59-year-old youth pastor? Or a 59-year-old associate pastor or anything else? Where should I go? I've got two young daughters I've got to think about. I've got one that's going to need some dental work and some, and some tremendous stuff later on when she gets to become a, a teenager. I got a future ahead of me with these two wonderful girls and a wife. I'm constantly asking questions. Is there going to be enough people that are going to stay around here at this church? Are they going to all leave and then the, you know, the offerings are going to go down and then all of a sudden we got to let people go because we don't have the money? Every single time, every question I would give to God this came to my mind. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I started to look at that. I go, God, why do you keep saying that? Dave, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. And so I looked it up. You should be there now. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust. It means to have total helplessness. That there is nothing you can do to help it. There is absolutely nothing. It's trust in the Lord. Not just trust in Him, but you've got to trust in Him with all your heart. We forget that because we want to think it's what we've done in order to do whatever it is to get out of the situation we're in. Look at what I've done. It's not about me. It's about God. And it says, do not lean. Or in other words, that word lean is do not rely on your own understanding. We don't have the knowledge of God. So do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, you need to acknowledge or you need to be aware of God and you need to have a close fellowship with Him. In all your ways. How is your fellowship with God? Some of you made a New Year's resolution. Hey, I'm going to read my Bible through. You made it to the first day, and that's it. Your Bible's starting to collect dust at the house. I'm going to read at least a verse today, and you haven't even done that. I'm going to pray a little bit, not, not, just, not because I'm in trouble, but just I want to pray. How's your relationship? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Be aware of his presence in your life. Have fellowship with him, and he will make your paths straight. Make your paths straight? If you guys are like me, your life looks like this road. Q road. Yes. 
twists and turns and all over the place, on the side of a mountain, you're fearful, you're going to fall off, you have no room, you're going around a corner because you don't, you can't see around the corner what's going on. Your life looks so messed up. God says, acknowledge me, and I will make your paths straight. When your paths are straight, you see everything. Those of you that remember years ago, I, had a, I, I preached a message. I try to do messages that people will someday remember. And my message was, as you look back on your life, you see God. Our lives are like the crooked road. God sees our lives as a straight road. We look back and we see just exactly how he has moved in our lives. Quit relying on yourself. And I like the way the New Living Translation tells me about this verse. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, it says, Then Jesus came and said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you. I love that. The experiences that we go through life ought to be teaching and learning experiences. Because I am humble in heart, and you will find rest. A yoke to bear. To his light. Cast your cares on him, for he truly cares for you. Let me conclude this little fireside chat. Now, I wish I was in Indiana because I could ask anybody to have a portable fireside that would a portable fireplace that would fit on this table but down here we don't have those so i just want to ask you this question in conclusion why are you in church why are you in church i don't know about you but every time i come to church or serve in the church or come to worship in the church I am here to please an audience of one. I am not here to please you. I'm not even here to please my wife or to please my children. I am here to please an audience of one, and that is Jesus Christ. And as I walk out of this building, I want him to be pleased with whatever I have done for that day. And it might be serving somewhere. It might be singing someplace. It might be preaching somewhere. And whatever it is, I want to be pleasing to him. When I walk through that door every Sunday morning, I always pray a very simple prayer. God, let me be pleasing to you today. That's what I want. That's all I want. And I hope that that's all you want too. The church, listen folks, the church is always going to have problems. It's always how it's been. Why? Because we are the church. And as human beings, we're nothing more than fallen creatures. And it's only through the grace of God that we can survive. And we have to work together to make the kingdom of God a better place. But I need you to understand something. Things are going to be different from the last time. 
that I was in this position. I might not, well, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to be able to preach like Pastor Andrew or Pastor Summers or even Johann McGloshan. I think they were all incredible preachers. And unlike the last time, there's not going to be a management team. It, and I'm just going to tell you in advance, I'm just going to be me. <laughs> You're not going to probably find me in a suit and tie unless it's in, unless I need to be. I know when to dress up and when I don't need to dress up. Or my wife dresses me, so that's, if it were up to, no, never mind. I'm not going to be dressed up, I might not be dressed up at all. Why? I want you to understand something. I am a, a blue-collared pastor. You have white-collared pastors, which are great. I love them. I think they're awesome. That's not me. I'm a blue-collared. You are going to find me down in the trenches where I'm going to be getting dirty and sweaty and loading up my truck with metal and whatever else I need to do. <laughs> Sorry, I still haven't gotten by yet. I still, I, I, you're on my list. And I'm just going to be there waiting for others to come and help me. I've done it all. I have cleaned the bathrooms in the church for years. I have volunteered in the nursery. I might have put on diapers really bad because they were back when there were still cloth diapers. Uh, I have mowed the yard. I have taken care of church facilities. I've been in charge of a bus route. I was driving a bus at 21 years of age. Think about that. You know how my driving is today. Put 66 kids on a bus, that's how I... And I was 21. I've been a children's pastor, a youth pastor, a senior adult pastor, a missions pastor, a college career pastor, an associate pastor, an interim pastor. Why am I telling you this? To know that there is nothing that I will ever ask you to do that I'm not willing to do myself. I've been there. I've had people... Tell me, well, a pastor shouldn't be cleaning bathrooms or mowing the grass or doing other odd tasks that I have done in the past. Let me tell you this. If you feel this way, well, then come on and help me. I can't do it myself, and I'm certainly going to not, I don't want to have any Sambalits or Tobiases either. Now that, you can go look that up after church. I'm not going to tell you about them right now. I'm looking right now at this ministry as a kind of like a missions project. And if you've ever had the opportunity to go with me on one, you will know that you have to work together as a team to get the project completed in a short period of time. It means long hours, hard work, and absolutely no pay. It means doing something that you have never, ever done before in your life and finding yourself learning something new and loving it at the same time. Get out of your comfort zone. 
It means that you are doing whatever you're asked to do without complaining and understanding that it's totally worth it. If you can still pick up a phone, you have a job to do. Scriptures tell us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, which just so happens to be my life's verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, so, dear, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Colossians 3.23 tells us, Whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not for men. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, So that whatever you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He, He will establish your plans. I know who I'm working for. The question I ask you is, do you believe these promises as well? Well, I do. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12 tells me what I'm supposed to be doing every single day of every single moment, and that is, let it all be to the praise of his glory. Recently, former Bucknell football coach Joe Susan, I get a lot of uh, emails from college coaches and all, don't know why, but I do, just recently resigned, and he said in his farewell letter, as in life, so in football, there will be change. Changes in life can take place over a long period of time in the span of a few, or in a span of a few seconds, are inevitable. These changes can be positive, negative, or even neutral in their impact on you. The longer we are around, the more that we know change will come. And we, we must realize that with change comes opportunity. We can sit, we can sour, we can soak, or we can continue doing what Pastor James R. Summers and what Pastor Andrew Summers started in this wonderful place called Northwest Baptist Church. And we can, in the words of the former governor of the great state of Florida who said, let's get to work. Now it's up to us. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Would you stand with me, please? Thank you for allowing me to share my heart. I don't know, and I've prayed this hundreds of times. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. And I hope that all of you will help me. Let's pray together. Father, we know that all things do work together for good to those that love you. And Lord, we do love you. Let our lives show that we love you every day. As we enter this place, let us come in with an attitude of wanting to please only you. Continue to give us wisdom. Continue to direct us. Continue to help us to rely solely upon you. 
for this great work that you have blessed us with. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.